Welcome back to the Boardroom Conversations podcast with Collier Bristow. I'm Helen. I'm an associate in the corporate team and joined again by Raghavan. Hi, Helen. Thank you for having me back. Hopefully this means that last time you uh, you thought my content was okay. I'm a partner in the corporate department and also chair the Power Equity Audience Group. So I think today's topic of conversation is quite close to my heart as it's, it's really important when you're doing Power Equity deals. Brilliant, which tees me up nicely to uh, let people know that today we're talking about articles of association and shareholders agreements, which on first hearing the topic, you might think this doesn't necessarily strike a, a chord. But actually, as you just alluded to, it's incredibly important. Perhaps to kick off, we should just cover off what actually are the articles of association for a company and also a shareholders agreement. Right. So the way I'd conceptualize the article of association of a company are they're the actual constitution of the company. They're a publicly available document which sets out clearly the rights between the shareholders and indeed the company. It, it forms a contract between the shareholders and, and the company. And, and the purpose of making it public is that so whenever any individual interacts with the company, either on a corporate level, individual level or as a shareholder, the rights of the shareholders are kind of clearly set out. And because it's a publicly available document, because sometimes companies don't have bespoke articles, they have model articles, which are kind of a basic set of rules of governance for the company, they're often supplemented by a shareholders agreement. And that's a document which is traditionally not publicly available. It's a private contract between the individuals. But as I say, it can supplement the relationship between the shareholders and, and the company. And I think the utility of that is that sometimes, as you say, you can keep some items private. Absolutely. And I think just thinking back to it, you, you mentioned the model articles a moment ago, which are the sort of the default articles that might apply if, if you weren't drafting your own bespoke articles. Although I suppose it's worth mentioning actually that you could simply amend the model articles so you have certain bespoke provisions or you can have an entirely bespoke set of articles, can't you? But why is it important to think at the time of adopting your articles what the appropriate road to go down is for that? Um, it's important because the articles will be the driving force between how decisions are made, but it'll also be the driving force about how the economic uh, rights of the shareholders are divided up. So if you want to ensure that you can have different dividends declared on different classes of shares, for example, if you essentially, if you have anything other than a vanilla shareholder base and you want to do something that's a bit more bespoke in terms of having a waterfall of economic rights, it's really important that you look at your articles and see whether they fit the purpose. Because model articles only legislate for one class of share capital with equivalent rights between all the shareholders. That may not be fit for your project. If you're setting up a company, and, and this is why I mentioned privacy at the outset, where there's a distinction between the investors and the management team, for example, you mm -hmm. may want to create more than one class of share capital. Some classes, uh, one class to give to the investor, which kind of protects their rights as an investor, and one class to give to the management team, which kind of incentivizes and aligns their economic return with the performance of the company. And that's kind of a traditional model. But you can't do that with just model articles. You need to invest time in both structuring the articles and, and producing a bespoke set. That makes sense. Yeah. And so then the shareholders agreement obviously has to interact with that. How does that typically in your experience, how do you find that that works? Well, I think the main advantage of having a shareholders agreement 
is that it's very supplementary to the articles, but it's also a private document. So I think it's important that some things that you wouldn't ordinarily want to put in the articles, for example, you may want to not make transparent to the world that certain parties have veto rights or consent rights. But the investor, it may be important that the investor has, that an investor, for example, has consent rights so that they can veto substantive decisions being made. And, and ordinarily that's not the kind of thing you want made public, but you can put that in a shells agreement and therefore enforce it separately as a contract between the parties. But that's often, that's often one which we kind of see not in the, uh, not in the articles, particularly as it doesn't impact the share rights directly. It's more kind of a, and a bit, a kind of a super veto right for a certain party. That makes a lot of sense. And I actually think that's a really good example of a circumstance where actually that's not necessarily something that you want to be out in the public domain. So following on from that, who might be listening to this, what would you say are the key considerations to bear in mind when preparing articles or, or a shareholders agreement? If someone's thinking, actually, I, I might need to do that. What if they were to come to us and ask for some advice? What would you be saying as, as a starting point? I think is not presupposing anything when a client comes to you. You need to kind of listen intently and particularly about what they want to achieve and then work back from that outcome. So I think that's always the key thing to try and dial into. You need to understand what your client wants to achieve and, and different clients will want to achieve different things. So, for example, an investor is going to be ultimately focused on an exit. And it's really important that management are, and the investor are aligned on those. And that's when projects and private equity investments work best is when management and the investor are aligned. But because of that focus on exit, then potentially the ability to drag along other shareholders when a suitable exit comes along is going to be important. And the bodies, but I said, I'm, I'm talking to you, Helen, I know you know all about drag along, but just, <laughs> just in case anyone's listening doesn't know about drag along. Drag along is essentially an ability for a majority of the shareholders which may be just one shareholder, but you, you set a threshold, say, you know, 50% or 75%, depending on who are the parties involved. And once that threshold is surpassed and 75 or 50% of the shareholders want to sell, they can compel the remaining minority to come along with them and, you know, sell their shares as well. And I think the utility of that is that everyone is treated equally. So the min- minority are not prejudiced. However, the minority can't stymie an exit or ransom their shares and therefore prevent an exit happening. So it's kind of a traditional way to ensure that an exit can be achieved. And, and it's obviously something that if you're an investor, you'd probably be looking for. The corollary of that, because although I do a lot of private equity work, I acting for investors also act for management teams is ensuring that you have a tag along right as well. So that as a minority, if the majority shareholders wish to sell, you can tag along with that sale and therefore aren't left high and dry with a new majority shareholder who you may not have a previous relationship with or, or the same kind of relationship you had with your previous majority shareholder. So I think it's important when you're drafting shareholders agreements, when you're drafting articles, to shape back from the final outcome you want to achieve. And then pretty much the rights and the obligations in both documents take care of themselves and you know you can make them as simple as complex or as complex as you want. That makes a lot of sense. I suppose it's really going to depend, as you sort of mentioned, on what your focus is, whether you're the shareholder who's planning for an exit, in which case I suppose something like the extent of any restrictive covenants that might apply to you will be of significant importance, I would imagine. 
or whatever your focus is. And actually, even if we take it down a step or two, just even things like hitting the right number for setting quorum can be um, incredibly important because you, you don't want to be stymieing yourself out of the gate by making incredibly difficult to make decisions because you have potentially have to get all five directors participating in every single decision. There can be a lot of different aspects to be considering depending on what stage you're at, I suppose. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. I think once you've understood at a, at a kind of macro level what uh, your clients are trying to achieve, then you can fill in the kind of contractual protections they need. But it's exactly as you say, at a high level, you're looking at control of the company and then the economic outcomes mm. uh, related to the share capital we're talking about companies limited by shares. So those are the two biggies. I mean, decision-making, control at, at a board level and also shareholder level and also whether we're talking about investor consents from a majority or even a minority on the control side and, and also making sure there's representation in the board yeah. level so that you as, as you've alluded to before but then once you've dealt with those kind of control mechanics it's more kind of well then how are we dealing with this the share capital do we have preemption rights on transfer share capital so that other third parties who we don't have a previous relationship cannot obtain shares in this private company. I should have said that on both on this and the on the previous podcast, we've been talking about private limited companies because there's a slightly different regime when you're talking about public limited companies, obviously, and, and you don't have obviously shareholders agreement when you have a, a public company. So this is very much something of real utility when you're shaping a good outcome for a private limited company. A lot of people don't want to spend money on bespoke articles and shells real, but a lot of heartache can be saved if you get some decent articles and a shells agreement in place because it really sets the tenure for any negotiations being forward. And while everything's fine, it's great. But then if you're in a sticky situation, it often helps to have strong whites which work in your favor. And you know, I can tell you of a number of clients who've had a good result because the documentation has been in their favor and we've thought about what they want to achieve you know, several years before it's come to pass and, and we've legislated accordingly in the documentation. No, absolutely. A, li- a little bit of time and money cost up front can save you a lot of heartache and a lot more money <laughs> in the long run, which is in uh, in my book a, a pretty good deal. But I think that's uh, probably a good point at which to leave it here for today. And obviously, if you do have any questions, then um Feel free to contact us. Our, our details are on the corporate page for Collier Brister's website. Thanks very much for joining us and thanks to everyone who's been listening. And I um, hope you'll join us again next time. Great. Thanks for having me on.